Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Western Conference Finals Look Ahead episode of Technical Talk. In this episode, I'll be getting you ready for what is sure to be an exciting series between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Denver Nuggets in the 2023 iteration of what happened in the Disney bubble back in 2020. But without further ado, let's get you right to the intro. You're out of your mind. There is no way that LeBron will ever be Jordan. Nobody will ever be Jordan, okay? Okay, LeBron's a better rebounder and passer. Will you let me finish? Can you, can you let me finish? Call me when LeBron has six championships. Is that your only argument? It's the only argument I need, Sean! All right, so getting you right into the team catch-up segment of this episode, we'll start with the Lakers, who come in as the Western Conference's seventh seed. Um, their previous round... They defeated the Golden State Warriors in six games. Uh, the top performers last round were LeBron James at 24.6 points per game, 5.5 rebounds a game, and 8.8 assists per game, followed by Anthony Davis at 21.5 points per game, 14.5 rebounds, and 3.3 assists. As for the different Nuggets, they are the Western Conference's number one overall seed their previous round. They defeated the Phoenix Suns in six games as well. Their top performers were Nikola Jokic, who averaged an enormous 34.5 points per game, 13.2 rebounds per game, and 10.3 assists per game. Followed by Jamal Murray, who averaged 24.8 points per game, 4.8 rebounds per game, and 6.5 assists per game. Getting right into our look ahead, you know, a lot of the talk leading into this series will focus on the matchup between AD the Joker, or Nikola Jokic. Specifically, how can AD not do what we just watched DeAndre Aiden just do last round and not let Jokic simply impose his will, which for a fact is easier said than done. Uh, so let's set up the upcoming series by taking a look into the regular season matchup. Nikola Jokic against the Lakers in the four games this season carried an average of 23.2 points per game, 12.3 rebounds per game, and 9.8 assists per game. And with numbers like those, it's very easy to see why he will be the main defensive priority and should be the main defensive priority for LA come Tuesday and the games beyond. While that started sounding a little bleak for my Laker fans out there, we have to remember that the two teams split the four games 2-2 two to two during the regular season. But let's get a little deeper into Jokic's numbers and track the manner in which he's scoring those points while also tracking his totals. In their first meeting during the season on October 26th, a game in which the Nuggets won by a score of 110 to 99, Nikola Jokic scored a total of 31 points on 12 of 17 from the floor, which gave him a field goal percentage of 70.6%. In that game, his average field goal made distance was 6 feet, which if you know court measurements is just past the restricted area. This is something that we're going to keep an eye on and track. In the next game on October 30th, a game in which the Nuggets lost 121 to 110. Jokic scored 23 points on just 8 of 16 from the floor for a field goal percentage of 50. His average field goal made distance in that game was 7.14 feet, which was a little further out from that restricted area. The third game played on December 16th. The Nuggets would once again lose 126 to 108 to the Los Angeles Lakers. A game where Jokic would score 25 points on 8 of 15 from the floor for a field goal percentage of 33.3% and his average field goal made distance in that game was 8.75 feet. In the final game on January 9, 2023, the Nuggets defeated the Lakers by a score of 122-109, to 
with Nikola Jokic scoring just 14 points on 5 of 5 from the floor for a 100% field goal percentage and an average field goal made distance of 9 feet even. As a secondary and supplemental statistic, Jokic among all players during the regular season that played at least four games against the Los Angeles Lakers ranks 10th in frequency of shot under 10 feet from the basket at 56.6%. First in field goals made under 10 feet from the basket with 5.5, fourth in field goals attempted, and eighth in field goal percentage at 73.3%. I am aware that that involves all the matchups Nikola had against the Lakers, and specifically not one-on-one against AD. So I had to run the numbers for their one-on-one moments in a more expanded way. In the 21 minutes and 31 seconds that Anthony Davis spent guarding Nikola Jokic during the regular season, Jokic scored 37 total points on 16 to 25 from the field, which is 64%, along with going one to seven from three, 14.3%, as Davis also managed to turn Jokic over three times while committing just three shooting fouls. And in comparison to the awful numbers our friend DeAndre Aiden mustered in the playoffs, you know, that's most definitely preferable. And for reference, if you're wondering how Nikola fared against Aiden and Phoenix, in the 41 minutes and 41 seconds that Aiden spent guarding Jokic, he allowed 93 points on 38 of 66 from the floor for a field goal percentage of 57.6%. To pair with the 6 of 14 from behind the arc, 42.9%, while committing nine total shooting fouls. Yes, I acknowledge that it is a two-game sample size difference in the two, but this is something I'm going to keep track of in the game by game episodes that we'll be doing throughout this series. All in all, it would be nice to see the Lakers commit to cutting the head off the snake, per se, and make Jokic distribute more while disrupting spots on the floor, whether that be through double teams. For reference, the Nuggets attempted the lowest threes per game among active playoff teams during their due to their, excuse me, dependency and production in the paint. While making it a long night for him defensively, I'll get into that in just a moment. But, you know, I don't think that if they're put in a situation like that, that Michael Malone's auxiliary players could sustain the shooting performance necessary each game. But again, saying that there's a surefire way to slow down Nikola Jokic consistently is an impossible ask. But it is something that, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on Tuesday night. So getting you right into the Lakers' offensive strategy, as I hinted at earlier, the Lakers really have to commit to making it a long night defensively as well for Nikola Jokic, and not just offensively. And that, in my mind, starts with the play setups and offensive sets that the Lakers, coaching staff, and Darvin Ham specifically will attempt to run. You know, when evaluating Jokic's tape on the defensive end of the floor, we see a recurring theme with athletic guards who can penetrate and force him to make a decision of staying with them or playing drop coverage. And he, you know, he seems to struggle a little bit with that decision making. As we've seen many instances where if he enters drop coverage and oppose an opening for a mid-range jump shot attempt from the guard becomes immediately available, or in the other realm of possibility, he doesn't have enough time to recover and a lob attempt at the rim for the opposing big becomes available. Luckily for the Lakers, they have just the experience to try the pick and roll method as they rank third in points secured among pick and roll ball handlers of the remaining four teams in the playoffs with 26 points per game generated among that group. I think that using your quicker guards like D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder in rotation with Austin Reeves to penetrate will kind of create enough havoc that Jokic will have to engage and it'll disrupt some of the floating defense that they like to play in Denver to ease the pressure on him. 
Also, the back cut will be extremely important, in my opinion, as, you know, it'll disrupt rotations and, again, add more strain on Nikola Jokic defensively. Anthony Davis can also contribute in this by stretching the floor and rotating between the box in one set and the five-out set and do some damage if Jokic decides to sink and sag off. And AD has shown that he can be a capable shooter from the mid-range and three-point areas if necessary. And for this series, it will most definitely be necessary. If you were curious what his shooting splits by area in terms of the mid-range are to this point in the playoffs, on a total of 33 mid-range shots, Anthony Davis has converted 17 of them, giving him a field goal percentage in that area of 51.5%. Part of why this number is limited to the 33 is because, if you recall, he did most of his work in the painted areas against the Warriors as they didn't have anyone that could contest him size-wise. With a significantly higher size advantage as a team overall, and with greater matchup versatility, Davis will certainly have no walk in the park, and that mid-range game may prove to be the deciding factor between the Lakers and their second championship in four years. Moving on to our next segment, I asked myself the question, who can step up for you know both teams in support of these superstars? Because we know the amazing ability that the duo of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and the duo of Anthony Davis and LeBron James have, and the potential impact that an eruption from just one of these players in the duos can have on the way that games are ultimately decided. And believe me when I say that this series will be no different. But outside of the duos, there are players who will be forced into greater roles of contribution. And, you know, that's where I want to focus this next segment, and we'll start with the Lakers. If we take a look at the consistency factor outside of LeBron and AD in their previous round matchup with the Golden State Warriors, the first player that really stuck out to me statistically was D'Angelo Russell, who averaged 14.7 points per game during the series, and the difference from game to game is least obvious as he put in 19 points in game one, 10 points in game two, 21 points in game three, four points in game four, 15 points in game five, and finally 19 points in game six. Secondarily, I took a look at Austin Reeves, who against the Warriors averaged 14.3 points per game in the series, and he contributed 10 points in Game 1, 7 points in Game 2, 10 points in Game 3, 21 points in Game 4, 15 points in Game 5, and 23 points in Game 6. Although these are just two of the options for Darvin Harriman and the Lakers, I would not be surprised if throughout this series we saw these two trade off on being the third option, depending on the situation. Switching over to the Denver Nuggets, my main focus was going to be on Bruce Brown and Michael Porter Jr. Bruce Brown averaged in the last round against Phoenix 12.8 points per game, scoring 14 in Game 1, 9 in Game 2, 11 in Game 3, 5 in Game 4, 25 in Game 5, and 13 in Game 6. And moving on to Michael Porter Jr. in the Sun Series, he also brought in an average of 12.8 points per game, scoring 11 in Game 1, 5 in Game 2, 21 in Game 3, 11 in Game 4, 19 in Game 5, and 10 in game six. So to close out this episode, I'm gonna walk you through some of the personal challenges for both teams that I'm looking for. For the Los Angeles Lakers, my focus is actually gonna be on LeBron, rather than the general view of Anthony Davis that most have come to expect from any other media source. But the reasoning as to why is when I think of Nikola Jokic's impact on the basketball floor, not only through his scoring, but facilitating and rebounding departments as well, the only way to nullify that, in my opinion, is to match it in every way possible. And to me, the best equipped player on the Los Angeles Lakers is LeBron James doing so in each and every statistical department. And just to clarify, I am in no way saying Le LeBron will 
or will need to have massive triple-doubles each and every game. But rather, you know, he'll have to exceed in one category without completely nullifying the rest, if you can imagine what I'm saying. That way, all of your defensive efforts are not lost. You know, this really means that the auxiliary players will have to do their parts in supporting efforts, but I do not put that out of the realm of possibility considering Braun has had worse teams, and he's carried worse teams to this point, and that worse team has won. You know what team I'm talking about, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Basketball is a five-man game, and at the end of the day, in the wise words of Joel Embiid, you need five to step up, not just two. Moving on to the Denver Nuggets, I'm going to focus on the bench as last round Denver ranked fifth out of a possible eight teams in terms of bench scoring, averaging about 21.5 points per game out of that unit. For comparison, the Lakers ranked first overall last round among bench units, averaging 34 points per game while shooting eight more shots as a unit. That discrepancy will play dividends in my mind if it plays out the same way as you cannot have your stars and starters on the court for 48 minutes. So as the rotations are coming in and out, it'll be important to track bench play right along with it. All right, that is going to do it for another episode of the Technical Talk Podcast. Thank you again for listening. And just as a reminder, this round and the NBA Finals playoff round will feature next day episodes recapping what we saw the night before. Thank you again very much for listening. And, you know, I'll see you back here for our Celtics and Heat preview and subsequent Lakers Nuggets Game 1 recap. Enjoy the game. And last but not least... Enjoy this. Thanks for listening.